Welcome to Sea Time, everybody. The off-road show that brings you all the results, news, and online shenanigans that make being online a good time. We'd like to say thank you to Fly Racing for their support of Sea Time. Please go check them out at flyracing.com. Welcome to Seat Time, everybody. This is episode 194, of course. I am your host, Mr. Brian Pierce, and to my right is Papa Pierce. Um, it's Hello been a again. While. How yeah, you doing? It's been a while. I'm glad that you're back on the couch. I'm glad to be here. I know, it's fun. You got your fly shirt on. I'm got glad that you shirt. remembered to to dress all sponsorated. I was sitting there working on notes and playing with new equipment and all the other odds and ends that come along with this two-person shenanigans show that we put together. That's what happens when you're a retread. I mean retired. <laughs> you can remember to think about stuff? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> I like it. Sometimes. I like it. Of course, for those of you who do not know, this is Seat Time. We are the online show for the off-road enthusiasts. Uh, we, do, we will be going live every Tuesday night moving forward. It's been a little slow just with racing and news going on. Of course, with holidays, it's great to spend more time with the family. But we will be back to our regular every Tuesday evening um, and then putting those things live on Wednesday of course, huge, huge thanks to our sponsors. So Fly Racing, of course, flyracing.com. We've got Kindatire at uh, KindatireUSA at Kindatire.com. And then SRT Off-Road, a uh, huge, huge off-road. Um, that, that awesome level right between Privateer and Full Factory team. You know, they've got like 40 guys on their team that they sponsor all over the United States. So for those guys that are trying to get just that little bit of help to be able to get themselves to the races sometimes where they can't do that, that's... That's what's cool that, about those guys. They, and they got a good uh, write-up on that in the Supercross this weekend. Ooh. The announcers even mentioned it. So, nice. yeah, that some of the some of the guys had limited support to help them get there. And I'm sure they appreciate it, and so do the fans. Yeah, for sure. So, obviously, uh, thank you for them to coming on board for 2016. You can go check them out at srtoffroad.com. Uh, the site, uh, the show is archived. So, if the site seattime.co, of course, it's there. Uh, if and on YouTube, if you would like to get the audio only version, Stitcher and iTunes, you can subscribe there. Um, that way, you don't have to stare at us. Just get to listen. Maybe it's a little bit easier for you to scrub around. I prefer having something to watch in the background, even if it is just mainly ninety percent audio for me. But hey. You do what you need to do. We do have a chat room, tlk.io slash seat time. It's a good place to get in there while we have Ian Blythe and Ricky Brayback on tonight. Um, or even if you have questions for us. If you got questions for the show, definitely jump in there and make that happen. Um, and go check out our 2015 year in review that we did a couple weeks ago. I shotgunned a beer to start it off. Yes, I was a little tipsy by the end of it, and my wife was here making fun of me the entire time. So it was pretty much the best show ever. It was. Yes. My dad has nothing to go. So... Sometimes it's good to recap some of the crap that's gone on. So the recent Dirt Buzz, if you will, thanks to our friends over at DirtBuzz.com, is Dakar. So Toby Price wins Dakar. Amazing, right? In his second year. Second year, wins Dakar. I mean, does that not just feel like Kurt Caselli was with him the whole time? Yeah. Even when he was there last year and doing really well? Of course, his buddy Comer year. decided to be administration this year. Yeah, but hey. And DeSalle didn't didn't ride, or went to a car or something, but he didn't ride. So the winners of the last umpteen years were out of the program. It's about time. Yeah. So somebody well. else could win. Hell yeah. And Mr. Toby Price did it. Um, so for obviously with our good friends Fly Racing, I don't know if anybody else noticed, but Trey Kennard racing with that nasty-ass bloodied hand. Oh, you could see it at through the, the gloves. Supercross this past weekend. Yeah. And then he's wearing white gloves with the red jersey. You're like, oh my gosh. It's. I think he did that on purpose just to pinpoint the fact that he's kind of a badass and it Ouch. hurt a lot. He gets hurt a lot. I know. Uh, King, uh, so tire, uh, with Kinda Tire, we got King in the Mountain this weekend. I'm looking forward to hearing all the great stories that people have from using their super tacky and equilibrium tires out there in all the rocks and all the nastiness to getting that extra traction that's going on there at the event. Of course, we mentioned SRT. Some of the big news for them is that one of their riders, uh, Corey Grafunder, turned 28 today. So why not say happy birthday mm-hmm. to Mr. Corey Grafunder? I love how he's like, I text him, I was like, happy birthday, dude. Uh, it's way better than Facebook, you know, blah, blah, blah. 28, man, good job. And he goes, I know, I feel so old. I was like, bro, 36, and I get another dot, dot, dot. Like, it's so funny how nobody even thinks I'm in my 30s, let alone, you know, I guess you could say closer to 40 than closer to 30. Well. And then I told him, I was like, I know, I know, I act like I'm 12. He goes, you feel the way you act. And I was like, and I feel 12. Or 12 or 14. <laughs> 12 or 14. It's perfect. Um, the uh, National Heron Hound this past weekend in Johnson, Johnson Valley, California. We got to see Ricky Brayback come back from the car and get a win, which we'll be at the know more about. And then Jacob Argubright coming in second and Nick Burson in third. Uh, looks like a, a, a fun race. I'm looking forward 
two to having Ricky Bray back on because we don't get a lot of coverage for the West Coast events. And so I I just like to be able to learn more about those events. It's a little bit harder sometimes with the way Facebook is and and when results, like official results, and then press releases come out and all that kinds of stuff. So um, on the East Coast, Cetra down in Florida, we saw Chris Bach take the win over Ron Como and Jesse Ansley. So good to see Chris Bach getting ready for uh, GNCC series. Of course, uh, AMRA, the Arizona Motorcycle Racing Association, there was an enduro in Arizona. Go figure, Arizona. Uh, Taylor Robert got the win. He was out there with Max Gersten, who came in second, and then Jordan Brandt got third. Uh, the name Jordan Brandt should ring a bell. He's been on the ISTE club team for many, many years. He was actually on my row when I went to I Idaho. Remember that. He was a fast dude. It was awesome. It was so cool to ride with that guy. Did you keep his dust inside? Absolutely. Just his dust. Just his dust. It was horrible. And then... Uh, Last on the dirt buzz uh, from the the weekend is a uh, Sorks race over in Georgia, where we saw Russell Bobbitt get a win mm-hmm. over Jesse Grome and then Evan Smith. Uh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Russell Bobbitt having all the back injuries, didn't have to have surgery, uh, missed a bunch of events last year. So I mean, it's he talking to him through text says he's feeling really good. He's happy with the way that he rode, and he's excited for the year. Um, I think that kind of mental preparation in itself, you know, through text, you can kind of get that the just the phrasing chosen is happier than just feeling good da, 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 you know what I mean? like yeah. so I think he's I think he's in a good mental headspace and that's where you need to be um, coming bike, in especially after an injury like that better this year too with the bleed off from the from the supercross from program. the supercross bikes yeah it'd be you know, interesting to talk with one of those guys 10 to, pounds see, lighter to see and I know because uh what was it? Caleb Russell was loving that 2016 250 XCF that he was on so if the 350 and the 450 and then some of the two-strokes are even close to that, then... Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, yeah, we wouldn't get much of that in the two-strokes, would we? So, well, they're lighter I mean, anyway, but yeah. would, the frame technology... Would, yeah, would a lot of that, yeah, I mean, because it's... With the frame technology on a four-stroke, though, you would think nowadays with the way that the four-strokes are developed and the way the two-strokes... That the frames... That they wouldn't be able to use the same frame. Not just because of mounting, but literally because of geometry. Um, I mean, do you think that's true? Well, things like uh, weight distribution would be different. Yeah. But you could have steering head angle, suspension components. You know, it's a lot so you of might be able to, yeah, you have some of the same parts. But, right. But jigs would be different. Right. Oh, and, absolutely. And engine have mounting. To be. I mean, right. obviously, engine mounting for sure would be way different. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, I'm thinking like even in like my I guess part of like to go in deep, deeper is think about the the undercarriage bolts or under, right. oh, yeah. undercarriage like even the bins of those sometimes might be different. Per they have to be four stroke or two stroke, right? Just because of dampening of the frame and things of that nature, right? The engine's taller. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. But there's still metal frame. There's still steel frames. So. Yeah. But I remember be. in the old days uh, with the original RMs, Suzuki RMs, um, the two fifty and the three seventy were interchangeable. <laughs> you could you pick your poison. You know, if you had both bikes like I did, yeah, you could race a two fifty one week and a three seventy the next week and. You could swap them out because I had the uh, PE version of the 250, which was their enduro bike that had no suspension, <laughs> and I had the motocross version of the 370. So we could swap it out. Those days are long gone. Yamaha did the same thing, by the way. You could swap out their 360 and their 250. Husky, you could do the 125 250. Well, now you can do a Husky, uh, KTM, like all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Uh, not for long. Yeah, not for, for long. long. We know at some point they're going to start to differentiate, but at the same time, they can be two different brands and they can have two different fields and they can market to two different people. But like, even if they just use the same front triangles, they're saving so much money. Mm. Like, or the same front triangle and the swing arms. Like at that point alone, manufacturing wise, they're saving so much money between two different yeah. brands. If uh, you know, opposed to making a, just a plethora of multiple. Stuff like that. And plastic, even though it's a different color. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're getting ready to get Ian Blythe on. We're going to call him here in here in a second. Um, I just wanted to kind of catch up. What the heck's been going on? We haven't talked with you in a while. Um, what we did do, right, we got your 990 back together, and then well, the yeah, damn thing wouldn't start, Yeah, right? all the king's horses and all the king's men finally put the 990 back together again. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then it wouldn't start. So I was fooling around with it. That's why... You know, my hands don't look very clean this evening because I've been fooling around with that thing again. Were you back digging into it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to, yeah. And uh, still can't get it going. I'm telling you, man, just roll that thing over. I haven't given up. Roll it. I can't. 
It's too heavy for me to roll. That's around. true. Yeah, we could just like drag it around and maybe uh, bump start it, right? Somehow. No, the electric starter works fine. Well, that's true. It just it won't, runs yeah. great off of the starter fluid. Starter fluid. Yeah. I know. Sounds like somebody's listening to our show while he's trying to be on the show. And they used to run Dakar with those things. The nine nineties, nine fifties. That's what it was for. Those that's people are crazy. Called a Dakar replica. I didn't even see that. Before they went was, to you the, just called it that because you put your Dakar yeah, stickers on it. They, that's before they went to the 450 format. Weirdos. Um, Mr. Ian Blythe, are you there, sir? Yeah, I'm here. I, I like it. Guys. We're not getting any video, man. Are you killing us here? Are you, uh, did you not primp your hair or, 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 or this is all we get? It's okay. You just let us know. Uh, here, here we go. How's that? We'll see what happens. Hey, that's better. If nothing else, it's better. All right, dude. Well, congratulations on Dakar because you guys made it this year. You tried to make it last year, and it didn't happen. Um, but, hey, you made it this year, and it seems like you guys had fun. I mean, you guys finished. That in itself seems like one hell of a positive turnout for going to Dakar. So I, I just kind of want to get from you just a little bit of, like, what did you think of the Dakar experience? Well, I mean, you nailed it, man. It's just finishing. You see, like, all these top guys not finishing, like Matthias Walkner, Ruben Faria. Like, everybody has, has problems, and it's the it's just part of it. Like, you have to have to finish. And uh, the guys worked really hard, and like I worked really hard just to to get to the finish and not giving up. When uh, I mean, we had three days where things went wrong, and uh, we were able to. Uh, was like minimize. I mean, lost a lot of time, but like finished, and uh, that was the goal going in. Is if we finish, we'll probably be able to go do it again, and uh, hopefully do better. Right. Um, I wrote down some things, just a couple notes, numbers, and all that stuff from some questions that I had. And and, and again, we can obviously we as we always do go off subject, off topic. Um, best days. It looked like your best day on a stage. You came in with eighth and then eleventh, and worst days was fifty eighth and sixty six. Now I won't lie. This is definitely me going back and looking through the results. This wasn't me trying to keep up day by day. Um, does that stand out as sounding about right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. I don't remember. I don't think I went and looked at the scoreboard on the days that uh, didn't go so well. Right. But yeah, I definitely had an 11th followed by an 8th on uh, on stages 10 and 11, I think. Or, yeah. Or, or, well, yeah. It, was, it was interesting that you had a 58 early on, or you were in you finished 58th in one of the early stages. I believe it was stage 3. And then you finished 66th on like the second to last stage. Um and so, but then you had your eight and eleventh there, like you said, kind of like towards the you know the the back half. So take us through a little bit of that. You know, those those early days where you got a fifty eight, and those later days where you got a sixty six. I mean, what were what were some of the determining factors on why you didn't do as as well as you did, kind of in the little bit of a middle ground there? Um, well, it's um, I mean mostly on those two days are. I had four, well, uh, three pretty bad days. Uh, the first one, uh, I got a bunch of speeding penalties. Um, so that cost me a bunch of time. Uh, then on the, in the middle of the race, I had a, uh, um, the, it was so hot and so sandy. It, uh, um, I, I like boiled all the gas everywhere and the bike kind of vapor locked. And then I killed the battery trying to get it running. And then on the uh, that second to last stage, uh, I had a fall and uh, I I ripped a hole in the gas tank and um, oh, lost all the gas and then uh, and then ran out just 10k before the finish. So the bad stages weren't really because I was riding badly, although I mean I wasn't maybe riding as well as I did on the stages right at the 11th and the 8th, but uh, um, they were. Just, Dakar type issues that uh, that we had to overcome. Man, but it looked like you were getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And of course, you ran out of gas with the broken tank on on twelve. And it looked like a lot of people just kind of blew off thirteen and and didn't do as well as they had done previously. But it looked like through the whole thing, you were just, you kept getting stronger. Again, the net coverage and the TV coverage quite limited, 
But um, did you feel you were getting used to the Dakar format? Your navigation was improving? or Because it looked like you were doing better yeah. toward the end. Good question. I like it. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, I think the most dangerous day of the Dakar was, for me, was the very first day because I just came into it uh, trying to go fast. I didn't have a great starting position uh, on after the prologue because I, I kind of just, it was really my first time riding that rally bike and I just rode through the prologue and I didn't lose a lot of time, but I didn't really push. And so I started uh, like around 40th and uh, I had a quad in front of me and for like, 30k in the middle it was just like incredibly dusty and incredibly fast and i was just like stuck behind a quad in the dust and i couldn't like break through the barrier to to make a pass and uh um those were the that was the scariest day because i just a couple of times i just come into it and the road turns and i'm still going too fast and it uh it just had to lock it up completely and almost went off the road into the rocks like going really fast so it is really like if you do well it enables you to continue to do well and uh if you do bad it's really hard to to move back up that uh that's the biggest thing i learned this year is to really nail it in the prologue and uh and then i mean i have to be consistent but i have to go fast enough to get to start up front with the fast guys because yeah. if you start behind 30th you really don't have a chance now, Man. you're from Colorado, so you're already used to some kind of elevation, but you can't possibly be used to 14,000 feet. I mean, they're talking about airplanes going on oxygen at over 10. That must have been really a drain on both you and your bike at 14,000 feet. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty brutal, especially... Uh, kind of you're not really eating as much so you're definitely losing weight throughout the Dakar and the biggest thing with elevation is you got to have kind of a full stomach and be hydrated and everybody's dehydrated everybody's low on on calories and you're at high elevation and you're sleep deprived it really is a combination that makes it tough and uh um really though that wasn't what took people out people made it through that stage and waited until the sandy stages to really for a lot of people to start dnfing so it was brutal but fortunately like the stages were a little easier at that point so i think that um kept a lot of people in but it certainly uh wore everybody down with the sandy stages um when you say a lot of people DNFing, could you is that was that a lot of because of navigation? Was it where you had to like follow a heading and people were just getting lost and then they were just DNFing because of that, or was it literally like it was so much deep, nasty, silty sand that people were just bonking because you know legs blowing out and all that kinds of stuff? Um, I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, it's a rally bike and it's like it's not sand; it's just silt, just bottomless silt, and. uh if you have any problems, like it was so hot, man, like the hottest I've ever experienced when my bike was super locked and I was stuck on the side, like I was just like dying and it just took the energy completely out of me and it ruins you for a day or two before you can like get back to a, a good starting place. And so for one, if you have any problems, you are immediately like dehydrated out there and they're long days. So, um, you're riding a rally bike with a bad tire in the back and it's a long, long day. So if you aren't, if you're fighting the bike in the sand, like you don't really have a chance. So it was just, it was real, man. It was, uh, um, and it was disappointing for me because that was when I was ready to move up. Like I started uh, in 20th that day and I had moved up into like, I'd passed four guys already before my bike vapor lock. So it was like, finally when we were getting into the riding stages i uh was having problems so i was really disappointed but then i came back for an 11th i started pretty much last and moved all the way up to 11th the next day so i was like i finally <laughs> figured it out and and started pushing so it became like a real um a rider's race rather than just pinning it through the on the roads you know yeah for sure we did have a question from the chat room from our good friend double d uh what was the one thing that you wish you had during the race um, that you maybe either didn't have with you, forgot, or just like, there's no way you're carrying it, but you were like, I want this with me now. Uh, 
the whole race, I just wanted a faster bike. I was just so frustrated with uh, with getting past. I, one of the days um, when we did kind of a lap around the the sand, the um, the salt flats, it was like there was no skill involved. It was just holding it wide open, and I was just getting passed by like, I mean, there's two guys start every minute, and uh, it was just like uh, people were just going past me all day, and it was like. Man, there's. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm pinned. I'm looking for like the hard spots and like I'm breaking late into the corners. Like everything's good. It's just I'm I'm losing time on on with the bike. So that was the biggest source of frustration. Other than that, uh, it really there were so many times when I was wishing I had a uh, my rain jacket, like waterproof rain jacket, with me because like it's heavy, but. In Dakar, if it's cold and rainy, it's going to be cold and rainy for the next five hours, it seems like. So it's just it's so long and so so much of whatever type of suffering you're in for that uh, uh, there was times when I was thinking about just, like, pulling over and, like, buying a rain jacket from a spectator or something because it was just miserable. Oh, man. Um, yeah, that does sound pretty, pretty nasty. Yeah, and you, you really had two or three different Dakar periods. You started out? First couple of days, I think they even shortened one of the sections because of rain. And they canceled another because of heat. And they short they the canceled yeah the, the the second half of one of your tests well, they later. They canceled one because of the rain. They shortened one because of the heat. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Oops. Yeah, that's that's kind of that seems crazy that you're gonna have. And, now, how close are those days together? Uh, well, the first one, the it was the very first day that they canceled because of the rain, and it was like. Man, I thought we were here to ride dirt bikes. This is just like a tour of, of Argentina in the rain. So that was so that was like first stage. And then the one that they they shortened was pretty fortunate for me because it was the one that uh, my bike vapor locked. But uh, it was, I mean, I still lost a couple hours with it, but I was kind of suffering after that. So uh, that was the tenth stage, I believe, or maybe the ninth stage. Yeah. So they were about a week apart. Well, um, yeah, you posted a fantastic picture of your your little tool pouch within your butt pack, or maybe within your bag, of how worn out it was from all the jostling that goes on while riding umpteenth thousands of miles. It feels 6, like sixty-seven hundred. Uh, yeah, in in uh, Dakar. So, or at the Dakar. So talk us through a little bit about that, because I can only imagine that we're all wondering how chapped your ass is. Or was anyway. I don't know if you fixed the uh, problem. You know, it kind of was so long that it was really the first few days that uh, that was a problem with that, and then it uh, kind of got better. And like uh, like Scott says, he said uh, eventually my ass realized that it didn't have a choice and that I was just going to keep riding <laughs> for as long as it takes. And uh, so really, it was like the first week, and then the second week was more like stand up riding anyway. So. The hardest thing for me was just like, just holding on to the throttle, just keeping your throttle at quarter throttle on the liaisons. Because it's nice with your left arm, you can just take it off the bars and it's no big deal. But your right arm is just like stuck to the throttle, and when it's like you already did a 400k stage and you have a 500k liaison now, it's like, man, I would give anything for like a left hand throttle or cruise control right now. <laughs> so. That was uh, the biggest the biggest thing there, but uh, it kind of your uh, perspective changes a little bit too. Like I think the first time it was like, oh, there's a 300 k stage, that's gonna be terrible. Like, oh my god! And then by the end, it was like, oh, it's just 300 k. That's a nice one. Like, no worries. <laughs> yeah, that's easy. Yeah. Oh my And gosh. if you if your butt hurts or anything else hurts. What are you going to do? You still got to drive to the next bivouac. You know, whether you're yeah. in competition going fast or just in survival mode, you still have to go just as far. So you might as well race yeah, it. it Get in quicker. Good, yeah. Nothing yeah. will tire you yeah. out quicker than sitting around. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you might as well race it and get home quicker. Uh, how much How much weight did you lose over the whole trip? Uh, I lost about 10 pounds over <sighs> the trip. I've been working hard to get it all back. That's crazy. I mean, do you think it was all water weight? I mean, like, it, or like it was like legitimately like a little bit of malnourishment just from the days after the day after day after day. 
So you know those uh, those things where you do like squats on like a vibrating thing, and it's supposed to like make your fat go away faster. <laughs> okay, but yes, it makes me think Very of the thing but... from the fifties where you like get on it and it like shimmies you. My mother had one of them. <laughs> yeah. So I pretty much just sat on one of those, I think, for two weeks, and that uh, <laughs> just vibrated off of me. <laughs> Yeah, but I bet your legs are twice as strong as when you got there. No, they're not stronger. They're just very toned, man. I'll show you. <laughs> uh, nice. Not He's sure like, I know that. this is my Speedo that I picked up while I was in Dakar, too. What do you think? <laughs> mm, I like the way I flex. So uh, a couple questions before we let you go. Um, what do you change on the bike? And then what was it like with the food, did Rally Pan Am kind of have everything set up to where you guys had all, like, all, I guess, not uh, not ethnic food, like food that your body was used to eating and, and ingredients that your body was used to eating? Uh, well, as far as food, it was, uh, I mean, the food's all provided by the ASO. And okay. so um, Ricky and I were joking that it was like being in like prison because you like stand in line to get your food and like, there's like a guy who hands you the tray and you get it and it looks like okay and then you take it back and it yeah I mean there just wasn't any options it was just this is what you have and you're in the middle of the desert so you're gonna eat it but yep. really the key thing for me was uh, Kate's Real Food Bars those like kept me alive through the race you know I was eating like three or four of those a day and the uh, I didn't really get tired of them, so that was that was critical. Nice. Um, we did have a question coming in for from the chat room again about the bike setup. They were talking, do you kind of have an idea what you're going into with each uh, stage or each new day so that you have time to maybe make some possible bike adjustments? Or do you just kind of set it up a good neutral position and you just slowly make kind of adjustments until you find that good neutral spot for everything at Dakar? Um, well, I didn't touch any clickers or settings the whole race. It felt perfect to me the whole time. I just, uh, it's all bone stock, bone stock, sag measurements, everything's, everything's stock. And, uh, I just put it out of my mind. So, uh, it, that certainly is a factor to the factory teams and the guys who have time to worry about it. Uh, I know Ricky was telling me that they had a guy who was revalving suspension every night for the next day's stage. But then there were a couple of days where he's like, man, my suspension was terrible. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? My suspension has been the same this whole time. It's worked <laughs> fine everywhere. Yeah, it's um, it, what it is. Well, what did those bikes weigh and how much gas did you carry? Those things must have been heavy with the gas. Yeah, the gas is huge. It feels like an enduro bike when it's empty. And when it's full, it feels like a Harley that just wants to fall down. So it really is like <laughs> you're really riding how much gas you have in the bike. But it... Uh, I don't know how much it weighs. It's a lot more than an enduro bike, though. It's uh, it is a beast. Oh my gosh, that's and, and is it is it the same basic engine? I know you've got the downpipe instead of the uppipe, but have they done anything to the engines to make them more reliable and maybe less powerful? Um, well, I was riding a slightly older bike. So ours was a thirteen. They really like changed a lot in 14 like the new ones are fuel injected but it's a pretty similar motor still it's the it's a rally rally replica motor it's a five-speed ktm 450 but it uh super bulletproof they say like we didn't change an engine on one of the days i ran 300k low on oil so it was like kind of sketchy but it was totally bulletproof nothing ever went wrong and we were talking to some of the ktm mechanics and they were saying that for the average guy, they can just they can run two Dakars on one motor without really having to stress it. Mm, I wish that had worked for me at the Baja Rally. Yeah, part of that's the five-speed, too, because that six-speed in the 450 is kind of thin. Mm. And they can make bigger, yeah. bigger gears, bigger, tougher gears. Yeah. Interesting. Well, are you back in Colorado? What does 2016 look for you before we wrap up? I'm back in Colorado. I uh, I started college, so I've been uh, hanging out in community college with a bunch of like recovering drug addicts. And stuff. So that's what community college feels recover- like. That's for sure. I'm a recovering dirt bike addict, so I, I fit right in. But it uh, I'm 
planning on going back to Brazil, not to live there, but just uh, fly down for the races and do the Enduro Series with them again, um, which is awesome. Unfortunately, the economy is, like, really, like, dying in Brazil, but they're still inviting me back, so I'm able to... Uh, to do that and keep being a professional racer but being living here at home will give me the opportunity to do more races so i'd love to do some like full grass full gas sprints and some more national western hair scrambles and i'm talking uh i'm thinking about going down to the race in texas this coming weekend it looks like a really cool race at uh red canyon or uh, or something so i might uh might head down there yep it is it's supposed to be really good they said that they've been getting a lot of moisture they've been putting in a lot of work um, you know, it's been a little dry this week, but the moisture they've gotten up until this week, uh, they should still hold a lot of it going into the race. We have been really trying to make it, um, but it's just it, it's just getting really tight for us around here because we're trying to finish up a bunch of things and, and keep things moving. So, well, the I don't key know. Question. If I make it, it's going to be a last-minute Saturday night decision to drive five hours. The key question, you going back? To Dakar? Going back to Dakar. Yes. Oh, I sure hope so. I'd love to. I'd uh, we're we're talking about maybe doing the Sardinia rally and maybe uh maybe the um there's a big rally in Brazil, uh Bocertos. And uh maybe the um Sonora Baja rally. Uh yeah, I really like rally, man. I think it's it's fun and it could be something really cool to move into if I can uh if I can get top 10 stages like that means I can maybe get a top 10 finish someday, and uh, that would be awesome. Yeah, I love it, man. I had so much fun at Baja Rally when Dad and I got a chance to go do it uh, back well, in... That's where we met you out at the training in yeah. Pahrump. Yeah, it was the first time I think oh, yeah. Yeah, that we had met in person. 2014 was when we did that. So, yeah, Dad and I signed up. Well, I signed up, and Dad's going to be... Well, Dad signed up for... I guess we signed up pit because dad. he's going to be Pit Dad again, and I'm going to be Woody Navigates the Baja Rally 2. Uh, so we'll be down there Without this year. So. Yeah, we're not going to bring the... Well, that, <laughs> I say we. I would have told him to leave the motorhome. He's just as hard-headed as I am. I, probably, just, I just bought it. So well, Let's go trash that fucker in Mexico. Sure. Yeah, Scott, Scott can tell you. Everybody made fun of me for having that big old motorhome down there. But I, I was passing people on the, on the passes. He's a crazy old man with a RV. Well, dude... Good luck. Have fun in Brazil. Uh, good luck with all the rally stuff. And hopefully we do get to see each other either again this summer, maybe doing some training or at least uh, down in Baja Rally as we are down in Baja at the rally while we race you okay. in the pro class, me not in the pro class. Cool. Sounds good, man. Sandbagger. Sand- yeah, thanks for having me on. I don't need to be in the pro class. You good suck luck. it. That guy just got to go to Congratulations. We're real proud of you. Yeah, dude. Seriously. Awesome work. We really appreciate you being right. a badass. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Later, man. Yeah. We'll chat soon. Have fun at Community College. Right. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Yeah. Good dude. Oh, he's awesome. Good I dude. Mean, remember the time we met him and Scott at the uh, in Pahrump for the training? Mm-hmm. They were getting ready to do yeah. the Baja Rally, all the ra- all the as were you. Rally stuff. And I mean, it's just a whole different world. Yeah. I still, the, yeah, I mean, my biggest thing is why I enjoy it so much is because it really is that. It's that uh, that next step up from a traditional timekeeping enduro, and that's that's Correct. what I really do like about it. Is it, it it's not that I didn't that, me personally. It's not that I didn't enjoy traditional timekeeping enduro. It's just that I get why we had to move from it. Yeah. it the sport was not that wasn't bringing in new people. But, we had to do something to rejuvenate the sport. I get that. That's fine. I'm having fun doing those too. When I get to do it these days, but um, you know that, that. So if you're into that kind of stuff and you miss timekeeping. Go to rally yeah, because the, that's where you're going to get the it. The bottom line is for enduro riders who have made the transition to the qualifier format because they don't like to keep keep time. Don't even think about rally because not you don't have to necessarily keep time. There's no arrows. You know you you are literally following cap headings. That's compass headings. Uh, you've got a route sheet that tells you how far to go and when to turn. No ribbons, no arrows. So if you don't like timekeeping, don't even think about rallies. But if you really want to challenge yourself, they, they can be a lot of fun. I wish I was 100 years younger. Look at you just tapping I your pin over there. Steven is about to come up just slap you from over there. Oops. He's just like giving you the evil eye. Well, we're done. I'm gonna have to give. To, I'm gonna have to, to give Stephen my pin. I'm taking your notepad. I'm taking oh yeah, he's pins. like. <laughs> 
I'm taking it all. <laughs> You're not allowed to write notes. I have nothing. Did you do that shit? I have nothing. Your phone's probably not even on silent. All right, well, let's get Mr. Ricky Brayback in here. All right, so... I know, we went from Ian Blythe, who did 26, and now we're talking to Ricky Brayback, who got ninth, awesome. top 10 at Dakar, and then comes home and wins the National Hare and Hound. How there insane is. is that? I, sh- I love that Honda hat, by the way. Oh, Mr. HRC himself in the house. I remember in last the, time you were States on, anyway. we said somebody grabbed this guy and sponsor him, and I'm glad to see somebody did. Yeah, that was like right after that is yeah, when the whole yeah. Honda stuff you started to really come together. the AMA magazine. You're welcome, buddy. You're welcome. They listen to us. They listen to us. Of the ten people that listen to this show, it's somebody that matters. There's more than ten. <laughs> All right, Mr. Ricky Brayback, dude, we have to ask, how is your evening going? Oh, it's going great now that uh, now that we're on seat time. Getting a little bit of seat time. I love it, man. Well, dude, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Not only do we get a chance to talk to you after having done such a great job at Dakar, but you also then come home back to the states, probably. Haven't even gotten used to eating real food. Well, not jail food anyway, from the Dakar. And then you go and win the National Hare and Hound. So we've got a lot to talk about. I, I kind of don't know really where to start, but the biggest thing is if you could, some minimal way to recap how absolutely amazing your Dakar experience was. Uh, the Dakar was, was definitely the ride of a lifetime. It was uh, something that... I've always wanted to do, and it was it was actually pretty wild. Um, you know, the journey was was great, um, great team, great support, but just the race itself and uh, and the the way the way it it happened was was uh, crazy. It was it was just a whole different learning experience for me, and I'm sure it was sure it was a different learning experience for Ian and and Scott and and CR. So. It, it was it was fun, you know. There was there was good days, there was bad days, there was long days, there were short days. So, you know, there's there's definitely a lot to learn, and I can't wait to be back. Yeah. Well, before I forget, one of the questions we had from the chat room right before Ian left was about what kind of chances you have to make changes to the bike on a day to day basis. So. How much information did you kind of get about a stage for the next day? And then how many changes to the bike were you and maybe possibly your factory posse making? Um, you know, the, I didn't really know, know much about each day. So I was always going to Paulo or Joan or, or Wolfgang and uh, asking them what, what the next day was like and, Really, the only changes that that I had made were uh, suspension changes. Just uh, just making the the suspension a little bit stiffer for the sand dunes because you don't want to go through the sand dunes with uh, super soft soft suspension and, right. and be uh, dragging your feet everywhere. But other than that, you know, the the suspension was like the only change that that I made on a few days, and uh, the bike the bike was awesome. You know, I. I had a, I had a one small crash and kind of rolled the handlebars forward, and then uh, other than that, you know, I went back to the bivouac and rolled them back, and I was good the rest of the way. Nice. Um, I kind of want to know like the factory side of things. Yeah, now, I got a couple questions about that. Go ahead. About the factory stuff? Yeah. yeah no, go for it then, because I well, I, I noticed to know about that again. Like we told Ian, we only get the web and the TV, and we don't get to see the gory details. And you weren't involved in this, but it looked like in some cases some of the factory teams use riders as parts sources for other riders. Did you experience any of that, or did you see others doing that? It was obvious on the TV. I think it was uh, Gonzalez was getting some help before he got evac- evacuated, um, and they did it in the cars too with the with the Peugeots. Mm. Did you see any of that? Yeah, you know, you know, we're uh, you're you have a, ma- a a factory team and maybe two two main riders that are that are projected to win, and uh, every every other rider it seemed like was uh, the water boy, um, always always watching out for them and and making sure that they're 
they're not left out there and uh you know you got you got to keep keep moving them forward so basically for me um I was I was the the water boy and you know I had to help the Joan and Paulo get to the finish line and and win but uh yeah you know there's 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 a job and, and a theory a theory to to almost each rider out there so for for me it was um you know ride learn um and if the riders needed help uh needed parts tools you know i was i was coming up on them you know uh helping them with with my bike and my parts for sure interesting it's a little team team tactics but it, oh, make, it team, makes sense it makes team sense tactics considering you're out in the middle of nowhere when that person could be coming up on you in 30 minutes to an hour versus but in this case the water boy beat everybody but benavides right that's the only hard ain't no water boy no more the water boy no more <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, to finish first, you first have to finish. Absolutely. So going into Dakar this year, you've done, a, you've done a rally and things like that a couple times, but you're still fairly new to it, especially something like Dakar is such a big endeavor to take on. Um, what were your expectations? Like you're just kind of like, you're going, you know what? If I do X, I'm happy walking away. What was that to you? Uh, you know, when I first... Um, you know, I when I first got the call to go to Dakar, I was kind of talking to Quinn, Quinn Cody, and Johnny Campbell, and just talking about what it was like. And um, my first expectation for me was just to to make it to the rest day. You know, I wanted to make it to the rest day and and make it there a hundred percent, so I can make the last week of the rally and. Once I made it to the rest day, my next goal was to really just finish the rally, and I finished the rally. And I guess you know the top ten is pretty, pretty good. I'm 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 happy. You know, I I finished the rally in top ten, and I got invited to to race Dakar again next year. Great, awesome. that's awesome. That's awesome. So your best day, you got a second place, and that was about on on the stage, and that was uh, day nine, and then your worst day was the twenty fourth on the second day. Um, I'm trying to remember what was the twenty. What what was it that happened for for you to come in on the twenty fourth on that second day or that third day because of the one getting canceled, the second or third? I I you know I was just I was fresh. I was fresh to the rally, fresh to the Dakar. Um, I didn't really know what to expect, and I wasn't sure on how fast to ride, and and I was, you know, making mistakes, uh, still learning. And those guys are, you know, they've been doing it a while, so they know they know when to push and when to slow down. I was just kind of learning, and uh, yeah. was after after a few days, I got the hang of it and started doing better and better each day. So was navigation something you learned as you went along, or, or had you prepared yourself well for that? I I was out here in California practicing with Johnny, and uh, you know Quinn put on a good little uh, two day uh, media day that we could all go out there and play around with the road books. So I was I was uh, practicing for sure, but you know out there at race speed is a little bit different. So uh, you know I learned. I learned each day something new with the roadbook for sure. Oh, I can only imagine. And and on television, you made they interviewed you and you made the comment on the day you finished second that that reminded you of riding in California. Uh, looked like there were plenty of pucker bushes and and then the next day it was dunes, I believe. Um, but how did how did the desert compare to the desert in California? Ah, uh, you know that. The day I was riding really well, and it was it was a lot of off track. I think we had like sixty or seventy kilometers of off track stuff, you know, just oh. weaving in and out of the the bushes and stuff. And out here, what I just raced the National Hare and Hound Series is is all all virgin trails, uh, weaving in and out of bushes. So on that day, I felt I felt at home. You know, I was. I felt comfortable weaving in and out of the bushes with no trail and kind of just picking my way smoothly through the bushes and following my cat. Oh, yeah. Dude, man, that's awesome. Um, and what was it on the day five that, that happened? 
I remember something didn't sound. Well, that was the day. Was that the day of the 24th? Something. I don't know. I'm losing my mind here. It's like my notes are all jumbled up. Or I'm just losing it. I, I don't to, have that. Which is easy to, which is easy to uh, have happen. So when, you know, it's like, holy crap, make it the rest day. And then you're starting to really, you know, as, as we were talking with Ian about, as the rally starts to progress, you really start to notice how much better in the results you guys are doing. You know, and that's just the numbers. You're, you're positioning yourself better in the rankings. But that along with that means that you're probably getting better at rally, at being at the Dakar. What are some of those little weird things that you learned? Let, let's say if there's two or three of them. Two or three weird little things that you picked up on for navigating, um, maybe for the, a different way to ride the bike while navigating, um, that you learned at, at, at Dakar, maybe from somebody that was there that's very specific to the event. You know, um, after reading the road book for multiple days in a row, and then uh, even even when you're not racing, you're you're still looking at the road book and the bivouac, you know, marking it. And uh, throughout the two weeks of the rally, I was I was marking my road book. Um, I guess you could say less. You know, I was I was doing less colors because when I first marked a road book. <laughs> uh, I had colors all over the place, right. and then it was too hard to read. So now, now I mark my roadbook really just the direction of the arrow and the dangers. And um, hmm. at after the rest day, I I realized like, hey, you know, you gotta slow down. So you know the phrase, you slow down to go faster. You know, yeah. be smooth. Um, you know, I just I really slowed it down a little bit and uh, just. Try to be smooth and not blow any corners, and that really that really saves a lot of time when you don't blow any corners. Because when you blow a corner, you gotta you know turn around, look behind you, make sure you know you're not gonna get hit. So you know being smooth and slowing down was was one thing that I I, I learned in this whole rally because it's two weeks long, so you don't want to you don't want to like override the road book the right. first week and crash out. Right. Well, are you able to, if you're not the first rider, you know, the first rider obviously goes out into you're Persian territory. You're not Toby territory, Price at this point. Uh, but if you, if you, uh, you know, you're the, the later rider, do you have the ability to kind of follow the tracks? Or you might just follow the tracks to getting lost? Uh, you know, you can, you can follow tracks a little bit, but when you're on the high-speed roads, uh, it, it's kind of hard to follow the tracks because, you know, there's it's it's a road. It's hard to see the dirt bike the dirt bike tracks. But when you're when you're um, off track in the bushes and the pucker bushes, you know, there's out here in California, everyone rides a dirt bikes. So, you know, you can't tell what tracks what because there's tracks everywhere. Mm. But out there, if you get off track, you know, it's 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 pretty easy to find a dirt bike track through the bushes because you know there's no dirt bikes out there. Mm. So you there's days where you could follow the tracks, you know, and in the sand dunes you could follow the tracks a little bit easier. Yeah. Because the sand's so soft and you know, dirt bike tire goes through it, it sinks down. Yep. But uh you still you still have to look at the road book and, and make sure that you're going the right direction because you can't trust people in front of you. Uh Luckily enough, we do have Double D in the chat room still throwing out some good questions. Uh, was it hard to sleep between the stages? And he kind of obviously is referring more to nerves, um, really, than you know, you having a sleeping disorder. Um, some nights were very difficult to sleep, not not because of nerves. Um, I really wasn't nervous. I was trying to keep myself calm because. You know, you never want to keep, you never want to make yourself nervous in a 14 long, a 14 long, you know, a 14 day rally because yeah. you can, you can really psych yourself out quick. So, um, sleeping on some nights was difficult and then some nights, you know, was really easy to fall asleep really early, but, uh, you know, you just, you do what you have to do and, and keep focused and not, not try to psych yourself out because it's a long race. Just, uh, what just, kind of sleeping facilities did uh, HRC provide for you? I mean, did you just get a pup tent and a sleeping bag, or 
you get a cot in the back of a truck, or how did that work? <laughs> did you get a no, man? Did you get a man named Pablo? Well, remember he's the water boy too, so there may be different levels. <laughs> he of got a couple boys named Pablo. <laughs> At least this year. So no, HRC HRC took took pretty good care of us. Um, you know, there was five riders and. Um, we had three motorhomes, and the riders had to split up the motorhomes. So, I had a motorhome with one other rider, and two other riders had their own motorhome. And Paulo Gonzalez had his own motorhome. So, we were uh, pretty well taken care of, and we had some pretty nice beds. Nice with yes. air conditioning. There is I the key factor. Of Ian in a pup tent with a sleeping bag. Oh man, yeah, I know for sure. Oh my gosh, but you earned it. Well, um. Congrats on the ninth for sure at Dakar. That's pretty oh, damn amazing. And then, so let's transition just a tad to you flying home. How much time from coming back to getting on your bike and racing the National National Hare and Hound did you have? Uh, four days. Yeah, that's what I thought. I didn't think it was a full week. How was that? How did? How are you mentally prepared for that? Uh, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, um, you're like, I'm just going to go. <laughs> I got home. I got home like uh, Tuesday early morning, like 2 a.m. And then uh, Tuesday, I was I was good to go. I, I felt I felt 100% all day Tuesday, and then you know I didn't really get a lot of sleep Tuesday night. Wednesday, you know, Wednesday dragged on. I was I was in bed Wednesday night at like seven o'clock, and uh, Thursday I kind of struggled all day with the jet lag and the time yeah. difference. Friday I was getting kind of nervous because. I knew that I knew I wasn't ready. Yeah, I was I was in Dakar mode and mm-hmm. I was I'm not gonna lie, I was I was tired. You know, my body was my body was tired of being on a bike for two weeks straight and uh I went out there Saturday with uh you know, some pretty good pretty good uh feeling and uh I just wanted to ride a normal third bike and that was that was tough, you know, riding a, a normal dirt bike, feel, you know, normally feels pretty big. But after riding the rally bike, the normal, the 450X felt, <laughs> felt like a little 125. Yeah, and felt, teeny tiny. Yeah, with I felt, only I felt really gallon. scrunched on it. So, yeah. With only a uh, three-gallon you know, gas tank. Yeah. Instead of six or eight gallons. Yeah. Seven and then uh, Sunday morning comes around, I woke up. Woke up Sunday morning, still kind of unsure. Um, the bomb run was open Sunday morning for two hours before the race started, and uh, I practiced the bomb for the whole entire time, and I never felt comfortable with my line. Uh, you know, it was the bomb was really, really dangerous. Uh, a lot of bushes and no trails, really. And for a bomb start, you kind of want trails because you're going – as fast as you can go to the end of the bomb so you can get a good start out of the dust. Yep. And I was kind of worried. So when the banner dropped, it was it was kind of game on for everyone. And somehow I got to the end of the bomb in third. Which got you out of the dust. For, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Um, yeah it, it, like I was saying, it's, a little, it's kind of hard for us to get a good coverage of everything that does happen in a lot of the National Hair and Hounds. You know, we see Instagram and the pictures and things like that, but we don't get a good recap of how the race has kind of progressed. So coming out of the bomb run, you were in third place, but we know you came out in the win, obviously, over Jacob Argybright and Nick Burson. Were either of those two guys in front of you or was someone else out there in front of you for first and second after the bomb and kind of how did the race progress? Uh, you know, at the end of the bomb, the... The bomb ended really on top of a rocky hill. So then on the back side of that hill, we had to go down. It was completely virgin, no trail. Uh, I passed Ivan Ramirez and Skylar Howes down the back side in the, in the rocks. And really, you know, I just kind of was riding. Uh, I didn't, wasn't sure of the race pace. You know, I was just, you know, I was, I was still in Dakar mode. So I didn't know how fast I should be going. So I was kind of, kind of just cruising. And then, um, you know, the the course is really hard to follow when you're in front. You know, uh, even if it's ribboned off, you, you still have to break trail and, and uh, look for the trail, you know, a lot harder than most people do out in the back. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nick Burson actually got around me at like mile 20, I think, mile 15 or 20. And he blew past me. I was like, man, 
I got to step it up because I'm riding <laughs> slow today. And then I, I teed off him, you know, for five miles, kind of, kind of figuring out how fast he was going to get around me. And, uh, I went just a little bit faster, got around him again and held and held his race pace just in front of him. And ever since I got back around him, I kind of rode by myself all day, but Man, at the finish line, Jake Argybright was right there, 30 seconds behind me. Just, I, I didn't even, I didn't really know he was that close because it wasn't dusty out there. So it's not like the bikes are creating a lot of dust. And right. luckily I rode, I rode smart and smooth and ended out on top. Right on, dude. Well, congrats. I mean, yeah, that's got to be tough to come back, especially when you even have that, that probably not even an inkling, just a full-fledged feeling that you're like, man, I don't even know if I'm, like mentally ready for this kind of stuff physically it's like it feels like sometimes you can fight through it but when mentally it's that's when it makes being the physical aspect of it 10 times as worse yeah, one, one week you're starting being started by the president of bolivia and the next week you're back into california desert you're like hey what up eric Kula? i like your i like your facey thing what do you <laughs> yeah that's the the hardest part of the rally is definitely uh staying focused and it's it's really uh, mentally exhausting, you know, because you're up at 3 a.m. riding the bike at 4 a.m. And I was for sure mentally exhausted uh, Sunday for the Heron Hound, you know, after the two weeks of the rally. And now I'm glad to uh, get the last three weeks out of my out of my way. And uh, now I can finally take a, a week off and kind of relax and let my body, let my body get 100% healed. Absolutely. So... What's next for you? You said you just had a week off, but are, are we coming into another National Hair and Hounds, or are you going to be doing some of the West Coast Hair Scramble uh, events that are around there as well? Uh, you know, the next race, the next Hair and Hound is uh, in April, and the next rally is also in April. So I'm not sure until until April. I'm really just training and and doing motos on my bike. Right. Yeah, I know that um, a lot of the West Coast Enduro Cross riders are picking up, you know, some of them are doing some of the, the West Coast Enduro Series, the West Coast uh, Hair Scramble Series, and things like that. Uh, Big Six, I believe, is another one. So, you know, go make yourself a little bit of extra money. But, of course, now that you've got a little bit of a break, you should take it and let the brain the brain heal yeah. with the body for sure. <laughs> Get it all back on level. Well, which, yeah. which rallies do you plan on 2016 you know i'm not um 100 on that yet i'm still i'm still waiting for hrc to to send me over a schedule so i'm not i'm not really sure it's still early yeah yeah i still got a few months i think i think in a few weeks i'll know that's awesome dude well cool well dude as always we of course appreciate you coming on the show and chatting a little bit of off-road with us um anything that you could think of that we didn't ask that might be pertinent to everyone out there in the world? Mm, no, not really. I just think that I think that everyone should try try the off road thing. It's it's fun and it's quite an adventure. I agree, man. That's what we've uh, we've got. Uh, the, not the Sonora Rally. What's the one that's coming up? That's uh, the Sardinia Rally that's coming up in April. I think that's probably one of the ones that you're going to wind up doing. And then Brazil. Yeah. He was talking about we got Baja Rally, uh, the Sonora and Baja, and then the Baja Rally, which is in October. So, I mean, if anybody wants to get down there and try it, there's there's plenty of them. Yes, it's the most expensive thing you can probably do on a motorcycle, but it's. I, I think now that I've done it, it's it's the it's that adventure. If you can find a way to do it every two three years, it's totally worth it um, to kind of figure that out and make it happen. So definitely, you know, or just get a ride with HRC. Obviously, you know, they're paying for Ricky to go. Come on. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I mean, you could. not everybody can be Petter Hansel, right? Yeah. Six mm. wins on a bike, six wins in a car. One and day. he used to win on those six, 700-pound Yamahas when it was really Paris to Dakar. Mm. Back before God. North Africa got well, batshit crazy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to add that kind of level of... Uh, of interesting to a motorcycle race that would that would make uh, the the shit that people see happens the Baja 1000 you know that would be like Baja light then we compared don't to what goes on there yeah the stuff 
the stuff that people say and the stuff that people believe that happened in Bob, but really doesn't ever happen. Right, exactly. It does in Africa. <laughs> yeah, Africa, you guys would be like, oh shit, this is real. Captured. I'm not coming back. Not Captured coming back. Beheadings, yes. <laughs> well, dude, no, seriously, we really appreciate you coming on. Good luck, have fun, and uh, just keep in touch, and we'll do the same. All right, thank you guys. And good Peace. luck with this, this year and getting ready for next one. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Dude, yeah, so that's a little scary, I think, in the sense that, you know, to kind of know you're going into an event. Yeah, but, oh, yeah, you're good. Steven's, Steven didn't hit the button. Look at this guy. Thank you. Peace. Um, I mean, just think about it. Like that's gotta be a little, a little frightening, to go into an event and just kind of be like, "Am I there? Like, am I where? Yeah. Am I where I need to be?" Especially the bomb run. Like, it's not like you have the last test of the day is where you're gonna turn it on. Like the bomb run in the National Hare and Hound stuff is like the craziest well, shit out there. I remember the first motocross national I ran. You know, I'm at the line. I qualified. You come out of go, you come out of the porta john with shit on your pants, and you know, I must have crashed my brains out because I just wow, I'm here. You know, I'm I'm looking <laughs> around. I'm not paying attention to my riding. Um, you got to stay focused on that stuff the first time. Yeah, so that's tough, man. But yeah, I'm glad that. I mean, it's it's. It's really been an interesting two years for watching Ricky Braybrek's career. Oh, awesome. Like, crazy. Super crazy. But, all, yeah, great. To go Fantastic from the form, cover but... of the AMA magazine to finishing in the top ten five times. Five stages. And ninth overall. And a second in one stage. Yeah. Pretty intense. Pretty intense. Um, so what's coming up? Of course, this coming weekend is the King of the, King of the Hammers event within that we have the king of the motos uh extreme enduro race we saw colton haker get the win there last year on his husky i'm sure he's going to be going for that again i wonder if cody webb's going to be there he didn't make it last year we may have a conflict again with the super enduros i think that's why he didn't make it last year but then colton haker also is doing the super enduros so hopefully i'm going to check on the schedules and see that would suck if they conflict um it's going to happen there's so many circuits yeah, well, they so they fly them, they're flying international for this stuff. Yeah, so that's so why many it's crazy. of them are not AMA that there's no coordination between the organizers. Oh well, yeah, the super enduro stuff is stinking. That's the FIM yeah. and it's all over. So uh, all that stuff. Let's see. And then of course uh, the weekend after that, we're starting off the nat the 2016 National Enduro Series in Sumter, South Carolina. I'm excited. I'm going to try to see if I can get Alan Rant or one of the uh, National Enduro, the NEPG guys on next week so we can kind of talk about some of the changes that they've made uh, throughout the past couple of years. And then, of course, too, the change they made this year with the pros move, move to the 30s now instead of the 20s. Um, that'll be really interesting. I, I, I won't be here for that one. No. After the Medfest we had oh, no, Alan in Rant Arkansas, doesn't want to talk I don't to think Alan's going to want to look at me. No, definitely not. I mean, it'd be... It's better to be, you know, not face-to-face in person. At least now it's over the internet. He can't punch you. Yeah. He, can't ver- he can verbally abuse you, but he can't physically abuse you. Yeah, I'm referring to the 2011 National Enduro at, at Train Robbers, where we got probably eight inches of rain the night before, and three inches of rain at the riders' meeting. Yeah, and we got, then we got rain during the event, too. During the event? I know, I was there. I was one of the fun little people. I was cleaning up. Yeah, for a long that time. That was a busy little guy. That was a busy weekend. Um, so, and then, of course, what's going to be happening next week, uh, you'll notice February 1st, we are going to launch a new shirt campaign. I say this because that's all the information you're going to get. You're going to have seven days to buy yourself one of the new Seat Time shirts, and that's it. There will be two opportunities to buy this type of shirt um, throughout the year, throughout 2016. And if you like it, purchase it, because if you don't, you won't be able to get it until maybe if we decide to release it again for a second time during the year. So you'll have from February 1st to February 7th to purchase yourself one of the new Seat Time shirts and uh, help support Seat Time. That's definitely the idea behind it. It's just too hard to keep shirts in stock and do everything like that. So we're going to sell it for seven days. We're going to then place an order. We're going to print them all, and that's it. That's how it's going to work because it's just way easier, and there's no point in keeping stock in this kind of stuff. So pay attention to that. Um, look for it. 
we've got a lot of advertisements going out, so it should be interesting. We'll see how it goes. Other than that, thank you for paying attention to Seat Time. This has been episode 184, 194, of course. You can find us on all of the social bits. Uh, we're on Facebook, so it's facebook.com slash Seat Time. Of course, we are on, on Twitter. It's at Seat Time underscore CO. On Instagram, it's at Seat Time. And then you can find us on YouTube. The channel is Seat Time CO. Uh, that's all the social bits. Remember this, the site. Uh, SeatTime.co is where we post and archive all the sites and, of course, a lot of off-road news. And then Stitcher and Seat Time, or Stitcher and iTunes, you can search for Seat Time if you would like just the audio only. Of course, huge thanks to Fly Racing. Uh, you can check them out at flyracing.com. Kenda Tire is kendatire.com. And SRT Offroad at srtoffroad.com. I'm glad they make it so easy. How do you remember all that? He, he's not reading that off of a script. He's pulling it out of some orifice, and it's the same every week. <laughs> Yeah. He remembers and gets that all right. I used to have to. It's not on his screen. He used. To, I used to have to like. I used to have it on the screen, and and then one day I just realized that I was saying it, yeah. and I wasn't reading it, and I was like, "Well, don't have to put that in the show notes anymore." No. <laughs> and then it's like the Supercross last weekend. They showed, I think it was Webb. Uh, they showed his pit board, and the guy had the pit board up and had a list of all his sponsors oh. on it. <laughs> but what was funny is you could see the whole time Cooper Webb got about four in, and then you just saw his eyes like darting over, like yeah. picking up the next sponsor. Yeah. And I'm like, I hate to say it, at that point, it's too far. That's when it's gone too far. Whatever the rider can remember is what the rider can remember. When the guy's holding that up and he is wasting people's time, like trying to look at a name and trying to like that's when that's how you pay for the writing. No, there's other ways to make sponsors happy than a half a second mention on a show that will do absolutely nothing to make people want to go purchase your equipment. Uh, I kind of agree with that. That that does nothing for brand loyalty. But that's what you want, I and that's what you want to get us make off track. Actions. I just wanted to wonder how you remember all that to get it right every week. Cooper Webb, come take some seat time lessons. Yeah. Get on the couch. We'll Brian. make this happen. Uh, so, yeah, pay attention. We really appreciate you guys. Remember, always enjoy a pipe full of awesome, and we are back every Tuesday night for God only knows how long. Hopefully there's no more family emergencies like we had a couple times last year. Shit gets weird, though, so it could happen. Remember, peace.